This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Kryptoson. On this episode of the podcast, we have Evan Kaloudis. He makes the fucking Zeus wallet, bitch. <laughs> Zeus is a mobile wallet that allows you to, to connect to a remote Lightning node. Currently LND, but soon to be seat Lightning nodes will be supported as well. Zeus is currently available on Google Play, iOS test flight, and on F-Droid. Personally, I use Zeus for connecting to my remote LND node in order to get the best lightning experience. This week, we return to much less controversial waters, and, you know, we talk about lightning and stuff. What the hell else are we going to talk about? If you want to support the podcast, you can you know, chip in Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning on crowdfund.lightningjunkies.net. You can also tip me in the show notes in various ways. Starting this week, you can also join SparkSwap or join Fold and use my affiliate links, and those will also support the podcast as well. Don't forget all the normal ways of supporting a podcast, including subscribing, leaving a review, spreading the word on social media, you know, buying me a pizza, buying me alcohol, sending me letters where you break down the intimate details of how you have dedicated your life to be a lightning junkie just like me. All that fun stuff being said, let's get into the actual reason you're here today. Let's jump into this episode. I would like to go ahead and welcome Evan to the uh, Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, doing well, Chaz. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to uh, have the opportunity to sit down and speak with you. Uh, absolutely here. What's your general background? You know, let's not jump into Bitcoin land quite yet. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, I've got a bit of a computer background. So I was like really always into computers when I was young. My dad always, you know, had a... Uh, couple of computers around uh playing old ms dos games uh and eventually going online with like aol and (laughs) like downloading like james bond trailers that would you know take a day or two to download like very low fidelity clips as uh, i got a little older and i got into middle school I i got my own desktop and started tinkering around with it i got my own ipod got really into music and then in high school, I started a music website. It was originally called 130BPM, then turned to beatsperminute.com. And we did like music reviews, a lot of alternative stuff, tronic, uh, hip hop, like sort of like a wide sprawl of stuff. Yeah, that, that was just on WordPress. And uh, from there, I sort of got into like web sort of stuff because WordPress is based on PHP. I got sort of into the CSS styling stuff. Yeah, had a really good time with that. I had a lot of people go on to write for some pretty cool uh, publications. Uh, I went to college for uh, computer science, and I started, uh, you know, studying CS properly. Yeah, I guess it's really around college that I really got into the Bitcoin rabbit hole. It's quite a quite a journey. Uh, my first year in school was when Occupy Wall Street was starting up. You know, there's these big protests downtown by Wall Street and Zuccotti Park where, uh, you know, there's a lot of protesters, uh, you know, arguing about the recession and uh, the bailout of the banks. And there was just like a whole lot of ideas going down there. You know, fortunate, I, I got 
you know, brought into that uh, chaos. Uh, I had some friends on my floor who wanted to go see Radiohead. <laughs> there was this rumor that Radiohead was playing in the park, and I'm like, yeah, let's go see Radiohead. We like that band. And um, yeah, that just ended up being a silly rumor. But, you know, thank God someone made it because I went down there and I got exposed to all these just wide ranging opinions from left to right, center to the horseshoe. And, you know, amongst, you know, some of those ideas was Bitcoin. That's probably the first time I really heard about it. Do you think that was the perfect environment to hear about Bitcoin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. With that climate, I mean... Let's just think about, you know, the, the Genesis block. You know, people like to say that, you know, Bitcoin is apolitical, amoral, but in a lot of ways, that's that's true. The system doesn't really care who you are. It's not going to pivot or, you know, do something else. But its inception and its creation was inherently uh, political, I think. I think that's pretty hard to deny. Absolutely. So you discovered Bitcoin at, you know, Occupy Wall Street. How did things uh, go from there? Oh, man, like even at Occupy, I always thought it was like a interesting idea, but I didn't really go down the rabbit hole until some years later. It's probably like two and a half years after that, that I really got my hands on my first Bitcoin. And I think that's saying a lot because, you know, even as someone who's young and, you know, interested in you know, uh, that, that movement occupy and someone who was even studying computer science, like, Oh, it didn't really click all at once. You know, the, the concept of like sound money and whatnot wasn't really foreign to me either because I had, um, I had some family friends who were really into, uh, you know, Austrian economics and Mises, you know, a lot of libertarian ideals. So that wasn't really foreign to me. You know, the, the idea of Bitcoin as being like, you know, this sort of de facto better money and something that I should have and I should hold it, it didn't really click until, you know, a couple of years later when I, you know, got, got my hands on it. I mean, it was something like you really need to see firsthand for to, to really make sense. And even then, you know, there's some mystique behind it because if you have like just a wallet interface, you're seeing your balance go up or down. It's uh, It's a little bit mystical, you know, if you don't really understand what's going on with the mempool, the transactions being put into block templates by the miners, then being propagated on the network and all the little nuance behind it. So in that regard, I, I think we have to be patient with, you know, the rest of society that's just slowly, you know, awakening and to an extent embracing this idea. This is not going to be something that happens overnight. This is not going to be something that even comes to fruition fully in like another 10 years it's going to take decades in my opinion the repercussions the potential repercussions of this all are immense has the potential to change you know so many facets of our civilization for that reason it's probably the most important uh, project that our generation is working on i think i would agree with that very much when you were talking about Occupy Wall Street, you mentioned, you know, there were people on, you know, all parts of the political spectrum. Just kind of thinking about Bitcoin on, on that level for a moment, do you think that that holds true for Bitcoin as well, that it appeals to, you know, all sides of the political spectrum? Or do you think it appeals to one side more than the other, etc.? In some ways, I like to think, well, not, I don't, it's not that I like to think, but it's more easy to grok from a libertarian or ANCAP perspective. I think that's abundantly clear. 
But just because Satoshi is undoubtedly coming from that direction, that doesn't mean that someone from uh, the other side of the spectrum can't see the immense value in it. Because uh, uh, more than ideologies or you know these isms we talk about, uh, at the end of the day, Bitcoin empowers individuals. It empowers you, it empowers me, and it empowers whoever decides to run the software or uh, you know transact in the currency. Uh, so for that reason, I think it can be embraced, you know, pretty much by by everyone, you know, maybe not, you know, a, a straight up totalitarian authoritarian entity, maybe not, maybe they'll have some pushback to that of money they can't control. But at the same time, you know, we have this public ledger that they could sift through. So, you know, we, we need to factor that in as uh, we move forward with development and work on the adoption of all of these privacy tools that we hope to see adopted. Yeah, I, I would say that that ideology should not be a factor that stops anyone from using Bitcoin. And, and it's good to see that in the space that there are people who do uh, identify as uh, socialists, as left-leaning, as democratic socialists. I'm sure there might be a couple of Bitcoin communists out there too. You know, I, we shouldn't have, you know, cater to this left-right divide. I, I think it's more divisive. It's something that we, we shouldn't let get in the way. Like we should be able to go across these lines, regardless of how someone identifies to help, you know, propagate the use of this technology. Definitely. So you were saying that around, I think, 2013, 2014, you actually got your first uh, Bitcoin. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, you know, got on, got on some exchanges, got on like the tail end of the Gox, but, you know, bought like very insignificant amount of coins through like, you know, uh, a bank wire. The following uh, year, it got on Coinbase. Yeah, then from there, uh, you know, I uh, actually, um, not really embarrassed to admit it, I got into some shit coinery. I got interested in projects like Dogecoin because I thought, um, you know, the virality of it, the ease of use, the, the s- small units. I mean, the, the you know, uh, the fact that you send like 10,000 of these doges at a, a time, I, I thought it could really help uh, propagate the technology of cryptocurrency as a whole um, by making it friendly, accessible. You don't really care if you lose a coin that has the dog's head on it. You know what I mean? So I had gotten involved a little bit uh, with the Dogecoin community and helped Langerhands. He's the current uh, maintainer of the library of Dogecoin, even though Dogecoin doesn't really get a lot of commits. But I helped him with a few things on the multi-Doge uh, light wallet, which is a fork of Electrum. So did that, built a couple of rigs and GPU mined a whole bunch of crap, then started going down the rabbit hole of privacy coins. You know, Darkcoin was really interesting to me. Uh, that, that's now Dash, I believe. And they were pushing like master nodes, if you remember that, and things are starting to get a little ridiculous. Uh, then from there, I was looking into Monero and Zcash and sort of went down that rabbit hole. Um, because, you know, from, from the get-go, it became clear that, you know, people back then were saying Bitcoin's private. It wasn't private. You know, it's, it's really pseudonymous. And if you leak one of your public-facing addresses and link it to your identity, you're done. Yeah, I really didn't understand at the time the repercussions of um, having all the uh, coins fully private and the repercussions that means for the coin supply and the scarcity of the asset. And uh, I didn't really understand, um, you know, the, the network effects of it, the forced hard forks, 
I didn't understand uh, the repercussions of having large uh, developer subsidies up to 20%. I didn't understand the repercussions of uh, these foundations of that house, most of these developers having mailing address that could get subpoenaed by large governments. So yeah, I mean, even someone like myself who has a very technical background, I would say, you know, a great love for Bitcoin right now. It, it wasn't really a straightforward journey as uh, I could have been. I think I would probably have a, a good deal of overlap uh, there with you. And I, f- I find it pretty interesting that you were uh, interested in a Dogecoin there at the beginning. Because I, I happen to see a lot of overlap with Dogecoin and the Lightning Network, just in the kind of a lot of the kind of mentalities and kind of uh, micro tipping and that kind of um, enthusiasm behind it, the things that we're seeing kind of uh, happening on Lightning. Do you have any kind of like opinion on that? You know, like uh, Dogecoin being similar to Lightning and all. Oh yeah, that was definitely a huge use case of it. I mean, it probably first caught my eye on Reddit, just going on threads and seeing comments and having like tip bots, uh, you know, dish out coins to other users. And, you know, while it's, you know, definitely uh, inferior to something with like Lightning, especially if you're using your own node and, you know, when you're using like these tip bots on Reddit, it's like a fully custodial solution. It could be censored because we lose your coins. It was still like an incredible concept to me that like, you know, we now have this money that you can send these like arbitrarily small amounts of and you don't have to worry about the credit card processing fee or hitting some sort of minimum, like I could send someone three cents with, uh, you know, a string of text from my keyboard and I pop it into Reddit and a bot scans it and makes sure the right person gets it. That was definitely a huge part of the appeal for me. A big part of that is like unit bias and, uh, you know, how many doge there are. I mean, I think it's, it's actually uncapped. Um, yeah, that, that was definitely a precursor to it in a lot of ways. And I'll always be, uh, you know, grateful for, that experience, you know, <laughs> perhaps I, I wish I would focus a little more on Bitcoin out the gate, but at the end of the day, I got to where I want to be. At what point did you actually start doing development work with Bitcoin and Lightning? Was it late 2017 or early 2018, I believe? Maybe a little later. Okay. Yeah, I first started contributing to Zap. I put in a couple of commits there. And uh, yeah, I just love what they were doing. I still do. Zap's a great product. And I put in some uh, commits to help with some of the error codes. Like I had set up my own node and I was trying to put in transit actions and they were failing on me. And Zap is telling me stuff like error code three. I'm like, okay, thanks. Uh, Can someone explain this to me? So um, I put together a utility that took the error codes and created a human readable explanation. So that users could sort of figure out what the crux of their problem was. So yeah, I started with that. I actually reached out to Jack originally when I was thinking about getting together some sort of mobile app because with Lightning, you know, I had my Node at home, I was connected on my desktop and that was all cool. With Lightning bringing together like this almost instant settlement layer, it sort of made sense to have it on the go. It's like, this is made to pay at retailers or with your friends or get stuff done. So I was pretty set on having a mobile wallet, but at the time the uh, options were pretty sparse. There was a, maybe one or two, but I wasn't too crazy about them. Uh, so I floated the idea past Jack of perhaps making a Zap Mobile with React Native, but I believe there was already an iOS version in the works. 
that Otto was working on. And Jack was pretty, uh, pretty gung-ho about writing the apps natively, you know, just do a standalone uh, Java or Scala Android app and then do it like the Swift iOS app. So I just decided to uh, just work on it on my own. I was very much familiar with uh, React um, from work. Uh, I had been using it to build our interface at the cybersecurity company I work at. And I had just heard about React Native like about a year before that. And I had just been itching to do a project with it. It just sounded so cool, the idea to be able to write my uh, React code and have it run on iOS and Android with one code base. Uh, I figured, why not try to make this lightning wallet that you know I, I want to have in my pocket? And uh, yeah, from there, I just started iterating on it very, very slowly. It took months and months and months until I was ready to even talk to other people about it. But when it was, we put it out there and it got a great response and um, just got people using it. And, uh, you know, something that I had made out of uh, necessity for myself became something that other people use and enjoy. And it's it's a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I think I definitely use it uh, as my primary mobile wallet at the moment. And I definitely remember last year when I was trying to find something similar and I recall Maybe I think there's maybe two other wallets out there that was doing that, and I really didn't like the the uh, their interfaces. There was something just off about them. I definitely like Zeus's uh, interface at the moment. Uh, yeah, I was just just fortunate to have worked with a really good UI UX guy when I was working on our front end at work. Shout out to Hector. I'm not sure if you listen to this, but uh, yeah, he just gave me a really good sense of design, keeping things simple, different color palettes. Um, so yeah, I like to think I picked up a couple of things from him and put it into the product. It's just trying to keep it simple and clean and we're always thinking about workflows, how to speed stuff up, how to take a click out or scan something and take you to the right place in the app. Really done a lot to work in that direction in the last couple of releases. What have been the biggest uh, new features and new changes in the, the last couple releases? From the start, we didn't have we didn't have multiple node support. So you were only able to plug one uh, node in, and, th- and that soon became like a big nuisance, nuisance for me. Sorry, <laughs> a big nuisance for me uh, because I connect to my node from different locations. I'm when I'm home, I, I don't need to connect through Tor. I'll just connect to my local network. Uh, but when I'm on the go, I might connect through a VPN or over the Tor network, depending on the conditions. Uh, so I got that added in really quickly. But then from there, um, we sort of opened it up and we've got a lot of great contributions. Happy to say that our next uh, upcoming release, it's currently in beta. You can get the betas uh, on our website and on our Twitter and on Testlight. It includes support for Sea Lightning through uh, Suheb from Ride the Lightning's Sea uh, Lightning REST project, which is exceptional. Uh, as you might know, Sea Lightning doesn't have uh, its own API built into it, but it does have this plugin system. So uh, different people have been making their own plugins that have gRPC and REST API interfaces on top of it. And uh, Suheb, I've gotten to know very well from the New York Bitcoin meetups. Yeah, I was a big fan of Ride the Lightning. I use it on my node pretty much every week. I'm on there poking around. So uh, yeah, I figured he was working on this project. Why not uh, bring it to the fold in Zeus? And uh, so far, I've been really happy with it. 
so we got Sea Lightning Rest support coming in there, uh, and we also got um, support for L and URL payments from uh, this guy named Fiat Jaff. He hangs out in our um, our Telegram chat. He's a just a really smart guy. Basically, we have support for two types of L and URL payments: uh, pay and withdraw. And basically, LNURL is a protocol on top of um, the Lightning uh, invoice system in which uh, you can scan these QR codes and trigger these different sort of events. So let's say instead of have, giving someone an invoice straight up, you'll give them this uh, LNURL that's encoded in a QR code. Uh, when the user scans it, they trigger an event. Then the server will generate the invoice for them and send it to the user so that it uh, only gets uh, generated when it needs to. Uh, more interesting is the uh, LN URL withdrawal functionality, which lets you withdraw to your Lightning wallet just by scanning a QR code. So there's no process generating the invoice, copying it, sending it to the other party, having them scan it, having them pay it. No, it's just you scan the QR code, uh, you click submit, and it triggers the withdrawal for you. So. There's a lot of interesting stuff being built on top of the Lightning protocol. Uh, I wouldn't really call it L3 like people think it is, but the ability to build on top of it and build new applications and use cases like that, it's its fascinating. It's amazing to see. And I'm very excited to uh, have that support built into the next release of Zeus. Maybe we'll call it L2.5. Yeah, I, I like that, actually. I, I think that's... Uh, a pretty good way to market it. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about the possibilities that are going on there. And I'm really excited about the stuff that's happening on the actual protocol level. I think uh, some of the Lightning devs are, uh, you know, taking note of what people are doing on top of uh, Lightning, like with LNURL and are taking notes, figuring out how to exchange messages. Uh, I'm really, really excited for the prospect of doing encrypted messaging on Lightning and uh, not having to trust a third party. Um, you know, in the last, um, <laughs> I don't know how long it's been now, six, seven years, the web has gone great strides to improve uh, user privacy with HTTP efforts and encrypted messengers. But at the end of the day, well, you're using something like like Signal, which is sort of the de facto standard for people who want to text each other encrypted. Uh, there's still a lot of room there for uh, the Signal developers to screw with you. Um, you know, it's, it's not like you or I could spin up our own Signal server. That code is all closed. Only the client code is open. So it would be amazing if we had some sort of system in which you and I can send payments to each other and we're handling all the encryption on our nodes and there's no third party in the middle that could potentially work their way uh, into our exchange. So uh, yes, yeah, something like WhatsApp that uh, Juice from uh, Lightning Labs is working on has immense potential and is something that, you know, potentially we could see built into Zeus. I, I would love that, but um, we're, we're a little bit out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll I'll definitely follow up on that thought train there. I just had a, a, a different question for you on a kind of more basic level, if you don't mind. Yeah. You're saying how you kind of implemented uh, support for C Lightning, into, uh, or you're going to one of the future releases, the currently in beta. 
would you say from a kind of more personal basis that you like, you know, either Sea Lightning or L&D more? Generally speaking, I'm much more familiar uh, with L&D. I'm a bit of a Golang developer. If I were to hop in any of the projects, I would probably hop into L&D. Um, but I've heard from people who run more heavy instances than mine, who've done a little heavier development that Sea Lightning is a little more performant. You know, part of that is being written in C versus Go. Go is great, but, you know, if you're writing C efficiently, you're not going to really be able to beat that performance. But at the end of the day, they're both great implementations. Um, and it's it's just great to have this sort of pluralism of uh, implementations. You know, we, we just need to be open to it. Uh, obviously, Zeus isn't going to implement, you know, everyone that comes down the line. I'm sure we're going to have tens, if not hundreds of these implementations when all is said and done. But it, it's good to see, you know, these different nodes and these different uh, implementations to, you know, sort of keep each other in check, you know, to sort of mitigate the risks of, uh, you know, security bugs when they happen on the network, just for the, the devs to have some competition and kick each other in the ass to give us, the, the consumers, a better product. It, it's great. So... You know, sh- shouts to, uh, you know, everyone working on C-Lining and everyone working on L&D. I think they're both fantastic. And everyone working on all the other implementations as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. Everything from the UDA to, um, you know, the Electrum guys are working on stuff. Yeah, let's let's keep it up. Yeah, it's, you know, some people say that too many options uh, spread ourselves too thin. You know, it's, it's an inevitability. You, you can't fight it back. People can wake up tomorrow and start as many new implementations as they want. So let's pick through them. Let's, uh, let's use them. Let's contribute to them. And uh, yeah, let's, let's keep building the ecosystem because I feel that we need a balance of these different clients and implementations for us to be in a good and healthy state. So while we're talking about the Lightning ecosystem here, do you want to maybe uh, share your opinion on me uh, on what your favorite Lightning app is? Uh, Lightning apps right now? There's always like a lot of fun ones. Like, uh, you know, I, I, the first ones that, that really like stuck out to me was uh, the ones where you, you pay to draw on them or submit an image and you have like pretty much these digital graffiti boards. Uh, someone made like a new one that uses a sea lightning TLVs the other day that I was checking out that looked awesome. So something like that was really cool just to see like uh, how incident, you know, you can make these marks and how small these amounts of payments are. I, I think that's incredible. But really right now, I'm really intrigued about uh, these on-chain, I mean, uh, not on-chain, uh, these lightning non-custodial exchanges that are going to come into the mix. Something that's going to let me do my bank transfer or my Zelle transfer and get sats right in a, uh, you know, lightning channel to my node. I, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges there for, um, you know, the operators of those exchanges. But I think at the end of the day, the experiences that we're going to have are going to be incredibly smooth and very, very different from what we're seeing nowadays. Experiences that, you know, are not going to be holding funds for the users completely non-custodially. And that's going to change a lot of security and threat models in the space too. 
So I'm, I'm really excited about that. So as an example, are you talking about something like SparkSwap or Escher maybe? Yeah, those are the two I have in mind right now. And I know Jack from Zap is working on Olympus. Um, that's going to be fun, especially uh, with these like channels, uh, these, what is it, turbo channels, I believe, that just get open. And so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that. It's, it's going to be really cool. And, and we're going to see, you know, these brand new models. I, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff leaning in that direction. But, you know, there's a lot of custodial risk there. You know, a lot of people are going to be storing lots and lots of money on these channels to make sure they're liquid enough to facilitate these, these transactions. So I, I think there's going to be like a new wave of focus on security. We're going to be laughing about uh, the way things are set up now with our hot wallets and our keys just on one device. I think we're going to see uh, new security schemes. I think we're going to see exchanges using hardware security modules that are just dedicated to doing the key signing because, you know, these hot wallets for these exchanges, they're going to be really, really hot targets. Do you think we're going to end up seeing a, a major lightning hack sometime soon? I wouldn't say super soon, but it's going to happen and it's going to probably happen sooner than you think. So yeah, it's just going to be a how people adjust to it. Are people going to freak out and be like, oh man, wow, lightning's a failure because this happened? Well, that would be really foolish and we'd be passing up a great business opportunity if you just dismiss it like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how first the incumbent players right now, how they set themselves up to protect themselves from these sort of things from happening. It's also going to be interesting to see people's reactions when it actually does happen for the first time and people get the kick in the ass to really make some changes about it. You know, someone with a security background, um, it's just something I'm just looking out for. I'm sort of anxious about, you know, not eager, but uh, I'm anticipating. A pretty common thing that, you know, people that are against lightning or want to be very skeptical of lightning would, you know, point out the thing that we're talking about, the fact that your lightning node is always online. Do you think that particular trade-off is, you know, really the end of the world or is it is there really strong ways to mitigate it kind of at the end of the day? No, there's going to be, uh, you know, a good handful of ways to mitigate it. I think we're going to see uh, dedicated signing devices, hardware security modules. It's going to be a little tricky. Yeah, there will be, there will be workarounds. And yeah, I don't think it's the end of the world. I mean, hell, Chaz, I feel like even if lightning goes butt up tomorrow, Bitcoin still has an incredible transfer success. Absolutely. You know, let's keep going with that thought. Let's say lightning dies tomorrow. What do you think everyone that's working on lightning and similar things are going to jump to? Yeah, I think uh, people would take what they'd learned on the L2 failure, hopefully take some time to assess, take some deep breaths, uh, step back, try to, you know, see the bigger picture. But yeah, I think we'd either see, you know, Lightning 2.0 or like a spiritual successor to it that addressed um, its shortcomings in some way or another, you know, most likely with some sort of other trade-off that we haven't considered yet. You know, <laughs> it's, it's even sort of tricky to even imagine like a full scenario where Lightning gets abandoned entirely at this point, especially uh, in the system that you know, it is so flexible. Like there's the amount of innovation that's happening, the amount of changes that are happening at the protocol, uh, you know, the rate at which people are allowed to innovate because this is the second layer and it's not the first uh, sort of base layer that's sort of freezing up and becoming ossified. 
yeah, however you paint the doom and gloom scenario, um, in my mind, there's going to be an upside. So do you think that overall lightning is more interesting on a application side or just general dev side because it does move so quickly? Yeah, absolutely. Just because of its nature, you know, everything's very lenient compared to uh, developing on the Bitcoin protocol. Definitely. And, and we see it with the rate of development on the protocol level there. And we're also seeing it with the applications on top of it, you know, that we can develop, that we have developed and are out now. Definitely. All right. So let's go ahead and get back to what you were saying before about Lightning with uh, doing the messaging. I'm aware, I think, at least of two different projects of different ways of doing messaging on Lightning. I think I'm thinking of one that's counting as like a layer three, the Sphinx, or am I completely off base on that? To be honest, I have not checked out Sphinx. I am predominantly an Android user, and I believe Sphinx is iOS only. But I've heard great things about it, and I really do like that idea of, you know, having this payments being sent in chat. Obviously, it's something we're seeing, you know, incumbent uh, tech and financial institutions doing, like, uh, you know, sending money through Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever. I think that seems like a very, you know, common sense uh, application where you and I are having a chat. You say, oh, you owe me 20 bucks oh, from did I lose here? beers last night or whatever it may be. And we settle it right there in our chat. I think that's going to be an awesome workflow and is going to become an inevitability. And we're seeing stuff like Sphinx and potentially WhatsApp. Um, pave the way for that so it's very exciting i actually think there's another uh lightning app a sort of uh, i'm not sure if it actually even has the chat portion of it but the way that it shows your payments with other recipients is sort of in like that text messenger format where you click the recipient it's ordered by you know who messaged you uh, who sent you money last and then you could see the history like going back through like a chat log so uh, I think, uh, you know, it's something that we're used to as, uh, you know, users of the internet and phones. We're definitely going to see uh, Lightning platforms in that format for sure. Overall, do you think that the Lightning network is going to end up being the part of the uh, cypherpunk privacy toolbox kind of overall here? Uh, yeah, I mean, today for people who want, you know, privacy using Bitcoin, I, I think it's a huge piece of the puzzle. I mean, especially if you're someone who's planning to be spending it on a day-to-day basis. You know, maybe if you're just a hodler, right, and um, you just want to stash coins away and not have Coinbase or whoever know where you're storing them, maybe you could get by with just CoinJoin, maybe a couple other cool uh, tricks. But for, you know, spending on a day-to-day basis, um, the gains that we get through Lightning are are immense compared to spending on Basemore, you know? Like you don't have to worry about divvying up your money and not having it linked to each other or exposing how much you have. With Lightning, that's not really a problem, at least not to the same extent. You know, someone trying to transact privately today, especially with the ability to have a LN node entirely over the Tor network, I think you get amazing privacy gains. So do you think that if a privacy never really came to the base layer of Bitcoin, and we had to kind of rely on the upper layers to do our privacy for us, would we be in a good position or would that be in a kind of precarious situation there with the base layer not really being that private? 
Well, here's the thing. I'm operating on the assumption that we're never going to get the same, you know, full privacy on the base layer. That's it's just never going to happen. There's going to be too many consensus issues. People are going to be worried about inflation bugs. Um, you know, if everything is fully shielded, you just pave the way for people to print coins and, you know, printing bugs happen all the time. You know, maybe not so much on Bitcoin, but you see them on all coins happen all the time. Everything from, you know, Zcash to Zcoin. They've had issues because of their different setups and how they approach hiding these amounts. I'm just hoping at this point for us to get Schnorr and Taproot so that when I open and close a lightning channel, that doesn't stick out like a sore thumb on the chain. That's my hope. If we get there, I would be, uh, you know, more than pleased with the progress. And it seems like it's going to be an inevitability. It seems like it's going to be a matter of when as opposed to if. Do you think we're pretty close to it overall, though? Uh, yeah, hopefully in the next year and a half. Are there any other things coming down the pipeline that you're uh, interested in besides the one that we just went over? No, I'm just really excited about all the different innovation that's happening. Uh, you know, not necessarily just set the protocol, but the applications being uh, built on top. I feel like Bitcoin tooling is sort of getting amazing. I mean, I feel like we're spoiled. Maybe it's because I was playing with wallets in 2013, 2014 and dealing with their headaches and their trade-offs and my privacy being siphoned off from them one way or another. I just feel like the last year and a half, two years and Bitcoin and all the tools we have now, I think we're incredibly blessed. And I'm, I'm incredibly uh, thankful to the people who put in the hard work to make it happen. You know, everything from Samurai to Wasabi to the Lightning Wallets, we, we have a lot more in our tool belt than we did even a year ago. So would you say that talking about things like Monero and Zcash, would you say that Bitcoin, you know, probably has a bigger privacy set and has just general better privacy versus those other privacy coins? Or is that going too far? So from a mathematical perspective and, you know, just talking about how the transactions work, obviously Mon Monero and Zcash are superior. But when you talk about real privacy and you're talking about hiding in a crowd and the number of users that you have, Zcash and Monero are at a severe disadvantage. I think it's going to come down to how much volume we see with these coin join tools. Sabi's done a really good job as making this, you know, standalone app that connects to Tor, preserves your privacy, but, you know, you're stuck at your desktop and, you know, you have limitations with the pool sizes and whatnot. So I'm really excited about uh, the Samurai guys getting uh, the Whirlpool mobile mixing built into their wallet and getting that out the door. Uh, I think the ability to just, you know, mix coins as many times as you want from your mobile phone could do you know, just wonders really for the amount of liquidity that we're going to get in, uh, you know, privacy tools like that. You know, there's two groups of people that we want to onboard onto the Lightning Network, I think. And I think that's uh, devs that are, you know, working on both, you know, the the Lightning uh, protocol itself and we, you know, and working on Lightning apps. And then we also want to bring on users, obviously, into using, you know, Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. Starting with uh, devs first, I think. Last week, I actually had an episode where I had someone kind of talking about Ethereum Layer 2 things. And part of the reason why I did that, it was I was trying to appeal to some amount of Ethereum people to kind of get some interest in the Lightning Network. 
because I, I definitely feel like lightning is a lot more interesting than Ethereum. I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but you know, I, I definitely think that's true. Do you think it's a good idea overall to highlight to the general crypto community and you know, obviously the world outside of that? to show how interesting lightning is to develop on and you know the cool things that we're doing etc. Yeah, absolutely. 100% I think is a, a worthy effort. I would say yeah, it has to be somewhat of a measured approach because you know you need to know your audience exactly and how receptive a certain group will be. So you got to sort of pick and choose your battles there, but I think overall it's a very good idea. I th- think uh, we've already got a couple of really great devs from the Ethereum community. Uh, one who comes to mind is um, Will O'Byrne, who uh, is the author of Lightning Jewel, which is the browser extension that lets you connect to your Lightning node and make payments uh, in Firefox or Chrome. Yeah, Will is, was an incredible addition to our community. And when I first came out with Zeus, you know, he gave me a lot of great feedback and hooked me up with a lot of really great resources. So shouts out to him. At the end of the day, people who are in cryptocurrency right now, but are not in Bitcoin for the most part, uh, you know, the people who are really caring about it, that are hacking and tinkering on it, like most of those people are going to come over to Bitcoin. It's just going to be an inevitability when they come around to realizing what the shortcomings of the products they're working on are. And, you know, even if they are incredibly intelligent, highly technical, skilled people, uh, you can't fault them for, you know, taking so long to come over, you know, for all the reasons I've listed in this episode. Uh, There's just so much nuance and so many facets in this system, like the incentive system, the game theory, you know, all, all these things, they all add up. So to expect any one individual to just like, get it like right out the gate is unreasonable so we should be patient we should be kind i'm not saying we should you know just listen and accept bullshit when it gets thrown our way but when we want to highlight or illustrate you know why something is bullshit we should do so in a tempered way you know we we don't want to come off as you know being too abrasive or uh or cruel because that's going to push people away And I understand that we need to be toxic to a certain extent. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, people caring so much about Bitcoin and and caring the direction it it goes down. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin is going to be Bitcoin. It's going to, you know, keep cranking out uh, its block rewards every 10 minutes. It's going to keep having that um, reward that blocks subsidy every four years. And it's going to continue to be you know, what's going to be the scarcest asset that mankind has ever seen. So let's not worry too much. Let's, you know, be very measured in our approaches. Let's decide to pick our battles. You know, at the end of the day, let's not get too triggered by all of these guys. I know we're, we don't want newcomers to get scammed. You know, at, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're going to get there. And all we have to do is be willing to embrace people with open arms. Absolutely. And now, you know, we kind of touched on devs, and now I wanted to kind of touch on users here. One question that I tend to ask quite a bit on the podcast is, in the future, do you think it's a good thing to onboard people directly onto Lightning and kind of skip over onboarding them onto Bitcoin directly? Yeah, I think there's going to be scenarios in the future where most people aren't going to interact with the base chain. 
and I think that's perfectly fine. I don't think that's the scenario today. I think maybe you can bring someone on to Lightning through a custodial solution like an LN hub through Blue Wallet or whatever, and they don't have to really worry about on-chain balances. But it's still not really the reality today. I think we're going to get there. I think it's probably a couple of years out. But yeah, there's definitely going to be people that don't interact with the base chain at all. It's going to be pretty normal, I think. I guess what I was kind of thinking is even in my own personal usage, I practically don't use on-chain payments. I mean, I do literally from time to time, but generally speaking, I don't. Like I, I do use SparkSwap pretty often to just, you know, buy, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And then if I ever do need to take it out, I might do a uh, submarine swap or a, uh, some other kind of uh, transaction to empty out my channel. Do you think we're, this is going to become much more normal behavior over time, given the fact that more of these products are going to become more common, like you know we were saying earlier in the podcast? Absolutely. I think it's irrefutable. Uh, I think right now it might not make the most sense, depending on your use case. I mean, I mean, a lot of people right now, it's not really advantageous for them to be spending their Bitcoins regularly. A lot of that is due to uh, tax purposes and whatnot. So a lot of people just want to stash it away and... You know, if you're thinking long term, you definitely don't want it on a Raspberry Pi in your house. The vast amounts of money, you definitely want it in some uh, secure, offline, perhaps multi-sig setup, multiple devices or multiple hardware wallets, different manufacturers. But as Lightning matures, as we get through these security hurdles, as, you know, these setups mature and evolve, I, I think this is all an inevitability. I think. You know, 99% of people are not going to do on-chain transactions at all. And those that do are mostly going to be balancing their channels. There's will be like, okay, you know, it's the end of the month or the end of the quarter or it's a lull in transaction and relatively the fees are low. Let me move my funds around so that I'm good to make my payments for the next month, three months, six months, etc. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, users move to, uh, you know, these lightning-focused tools that let them achieve what they need to achieve for their use case of Bitcoin. All right, perfect. Was there anything else you wanted to let the listeners uh, know before we uh, take off here? Uh, yeah, you could check out uh, Zeus at ZeusLN.app. That's our website. We're ZeusLN on Twitter, uh, ZeusLN on Telegram. Currently, we are on version 0.2.0 beta 3. <laughs> We're probably going to do one more, probably like a release client in a couple of days and hopefully put out a proper version of 0.2.0 uh, next weekend. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. We're really excited to have a sturdy release with C-Lightning support and LNURL stuff. And uh, yeah, just... Just want to say thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, Lightning Junkies is a great show. You've had some great content. You've managed to get some great guests on, and I think you're a really good interviewer. So uh, thanks for having me on. Well, uh, I really appreciate you ha uh, being on the podcast, Evan. Well, thank you, and we'll uh, we'll catch you later, man. Cool. Sounds good. Later. Boom. That was another episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. What did you think about that particular episode of the podcast? 
I don't even know what that's supposed to be. Is that supposed to be like Beetlejuice or something? Like, we here at the Lightning Junkies podcast do wish you learned something this week. Please give us feedback to let us know if you did learn anything or if you'd like to see any other particular topics discussed on this particular podcast in the future particularly. Thank you. And now over to Chaz to send us out. I will see you on the Lightning Network. What if I keep talking after the music ends for some reason? I don't understand why. You know, I'm starting to think that what I want to do on this podcast is a bit abstract for my audience. I'm not sure how much they would appreciate me just going all avant-garde randomly. It, it just doesn't make sense. This is a podcast about the, about the Lightning Network. It's not about me trying to be funny. I don't get it. I just... I just...